Okay, so today we are going to be talking about God as Father. Um, we're going to be talking about the Father heart of God because I think that it's fitting. Um, when we talk about the Father heart of God or God as Father, I mean, we all have a picture in our minds when I say Father, when I say the word Father, we all have a picture in our minds of what that is that some of us have had good fathers and some of us have had bad fathers. Um, again, you know, when I say that, we think about the fantastic fathers that we have or we had, or we think about the horrible fathers that we have or had because there are those people within this room or there's something in between. Um, but when we think about God as Father, Jesus called, re referred to his, uh, you know, God as Father, and he's the Father to us all, and so that we can learn something about him. In short, I did want to bring up this because I think it's interesting, and so since I'm the one preaching, I guess I get to ask myself interesting questions. Uh, this also begs the question, is God male? Um, and the reality is, is that we don't actually know whether God is male or female. We don't know. Um, but what we do know is that when God created mankind in his image, he created them both male and female. So we know that male and female, with, you know, they exist within God, and they both are equally important and play very unique roles. What we do know is that God is not a white male seated on the clouds, um, because that would be... Zeus, uh, that would not be God in terms of uh, the Bible. Um, but again, Jesus references God as Father. And so if any of you have a WWJD bracelet, what would Jesus do? Jesus would call him Father. And so those are the things that we at least do know. So fathers um, play an incredibly unique role. And it's not just biological, right? Because without a dad, you're not going to be born. Um, but they play a very central role in our lives. And for those of you who are fathers, you play a huge role in the life of your children. And then more than likely, not just the lives of your own children, but in the lives of other people as well. It's not just that we bless our own children, but being a father, being a dad, ends up just you know creating this sphere of influence that goes above and beyond our own um, our own children. And so where does this father's heart come from? Why do we want to be fathers? Why is this something that is important to us? You know, when I, Linda and I, when Linda walked into the church for the first time, God told me at that moment that I was supposed to marry her. He said, you're going to marry this, this girl right here. And I was like, this is out of control, wacky, right? And so we were friends for about two years. And I was really, you know, I came out of a lifestyle to where uh, I really wasn't thinking about love. It was more lust and sex and all of these things. And so I really didn't know what like a healthy relationship was that was actually based on, on love. And so we were friends for a couple of years. And so it was Christmas time. And I saw my nephews and my nieces running around, and the thought occurred to me, Linda is going to be a fantastic mother. There was something inside of me, like the father's heart, inside of me that said, Linda's going to be a fantastic mom. I had never had that thought about a woman in my entire life, okay? And so to think that Linda's going to be a fantastic mom. It's this father's heart that he had put inside of me, this value of being a dad, that I wanted to be a dad. And, and I wanted my children to have a fantastic mother. And she has certainly proved to be everything and a great, fantastic mother and more. 
And so when we look at um, Scripture, we can see examples of the Father's heart everywhere. And, and we're going to look at one today, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And it's in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So and this is Jesus speaking. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and the father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slayed for you and you never, wa- and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And on all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has now come back to life. He was lost, but now he has found. So again, this is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, Mark Twain called this the greatest short story that was ever written. And it's an amazing story. Uh, Rembrandt, I mean, people have painted this over and over and over again, and we'll see some different paintings today. This is Rembrandt's painting And so you can see the younger son with the father, and then you can see the older son, and the guy with the black hat there, that's Rembrandt himself. I mean, it was one of the practices. It wasn't uncommon for a painter to actually paint themselves into the painting. 
And so uh, there's another gentleman called Henry Nowen. He was a Catholic priest uh, who was just wrote so much, just a fantastic writer. And he has a book just on this painting that he actually went and sat there at the painting for I don't know how long, weeks, months. And he just sat there and meditated on this painting itself and then wrote a book about this. And so when we think about this, this parable of the prodigal son, it's touched so many different people because it's so powerful and that in its essence really you know, is the father and, and, and the father's love and the, the father heart of, of God. And so when we, again, when we read through parables, Jesus is often trying to make a point, but he's using it in story form. And so when we look at this, we need to ask ourselves, well, who are the people within the story? And so who are we within this story? And so the reality is, is that we can actually be one of two people. There's two characters that we can fulfill, and that is the younger wayward prodigal son, the one that goes away, or we can be the older self Many of us fall into these two descriptions. Uh, either we've gone wayward or we struggle with being self-righteous and we've never actually gone anywhere and we judge people who have done that. And so, I mean, these are, I'm painting with a broad brush here and so you might not fit neatly into that, but more than likely most of us do. So the wayward son, he asked for his inheritance. And although this seems very simple up front, uh, he says, hey, give me my inheritance. The reality ends up being is that when do you get your inheritance? Well, you get your inheritance when your father or your mother dies. And so when he says this simple line, although it seems very simple to us, essentially what he's saying to his father is, you're dead to me. You're dead to me and I want the money that I will get when you die, but essentially you're dead to me right now, so give me my money. So this is no small thing, and there's a lot of that's written into this that we might not get just by a simple reading. And so... And he goes off and he indulges in while living, right? He goes down to Vegas and does everything that happens in Vegas, gambling, prostitutes. And not only does he eat with the pigs, and you have to understand that within Judaism, because everyone in the story is theoretically Jewish and all of his audience is Jewish, that pigs were unclean. And so to associate, one, you couldn't eat pigs, which is, I mean, thank God for Jesus, because now we can eat bacon. Um, but back in that day, you couldn't eat pigs and you couldn't associate with pigs. And so here, this, this, the, you know, the wayward son, he, he, he feeds the pigs, but not only that, he eats what the pigs are eating, or at least that's inferred, that he's eating pig slop. Okay. <clears throat> so it's gross to us because you're like, oh, that's disgusting. I would never eat pig slop. But Jesus is making a point that this guy is beyond unceremon uh, ceremonially unclean. And that was a big deal to a Jewish person. You had to be ceremonially clean to be able to be in right relationship with God. So essentially, this guy gets an F- minus in Judaism or being religious. He failed beyond failure. Now, the self-righteous son does everything right. And this is by a painter called James uh, Tissot. Uh, I, he's a fantastic painter. It's much more modern. And so the self-righteous son, you can see him staring out into, out into the harbor. And here's the younger son, and then he's asking his father, who's obviously wealthy, for the money. And, you know, the self-righteous son's wife is staring on, like, oh, what's going on over there? And the self-righteous son is just like, whatever, I've seen this a million times before. My brother's doing this again. 
Now, the self-righteous son does everything right. He gets an A-plus in Judaism, per se, in that he does everything right. Or he gets an A-plus in being religious. He doesn't cuss, doesn't smoke, doesn't chew, and he doesn't hang out with girls that do. He, is, he assumes that he is justified by doing everything right. But what we find out is that even though on the outside he does everything that he's supposed to do, so if you look at him and if you spend time with him, you're like, man, this guy does everything right. He's just a good guy. He's, he's just so religious and devout. What we find out is that on the inside he's actually kind of messed up. And so, again, he looks good on the outside, and, and, but on the inside, being the good kid has left him very bitter. And then he tells his father, I've slaved for you. So resentments have built up in his life because he's done everything right. And his dad didn't notice. But instead of being right in his heart and saying, like, that's okay, my dad's busy. I'm actually doing this because I want to be devout and worship to God. We find out that he's very jealous and bitter on the inside. Again, he thinks he earns the father's love by doing what is right. So we have two characters. One, the righteous son who believes he, he can earn the father's love by doing everything right and looking religious and devout on the inside. And then the younger son who fails in any way, shape, or form to have any ability to earn anything from the father. Two very opposing ideas. So, obviously, when we look at this, God is the Father, right? And so this is when he returns, same artist, James, James Desat, and that you see the older brother staring. And so God is the Father. And so what can we learn about the Father heart of God through all of this? I mean, we can learn so much. I mean, again, I mean, if you read Henry Nouwen's book, you could just sit, you could break this story apart in a million different ways. I mean, I don't know that a short sermon will do it justice, but um, again, what can we learn about the Father heart of God? First is, is that the Father is long-suffering. That is for sure. Uh, his kids are many things in the story. Beyond rude, give me what is mine, 100% out of control, prostitutes, drunks, eating with pigs, eating what the pigs ate, and then at the same time, entitled and self-righteous. I've done everything right. You never do anything for me. But the father is long-suffering. And I think that all dads and parents, but mostly dads because it's Father's Day, so we get a day, um, in that one word amongst many we might all use to describe parenting is challenging. Being a parent can be challenging. Just straight up. There are many other words we could use. We'll use challenging. And it can be. And I love again, I love being a dad. Don't get me wrong, I would I would do it over a million times. Being a parent is really hard. And it, here's the thing, like when you have young kids, uh, it's, it's physically really hard because you're chasing them around, you're not sleeping, um, you know, they're always getting into things, uh, you know, and so it's, it's physically hard. You can't just go off and do anything it is that you want. Uh, they always have to be with you, and so there's always something going on in terms of just being physically tired. 
when they're teenagers or when they start to get older, or the word that we're now using within our household because my wife heard it from someone else, we call them meanagers because we feel like that's a bit more appropriate. Um, when they become teenagers or meanagers, it's emotionally very difficult, right? So it's no, it's kind of physically difficult, but you can kind of go off and do your own thing. You can go camping on your own and, and do certain things, but it becomes emotionally just so difficult, so hard. Right? And if you've taught your children how to communicate properly, then we get to communicate properly about all sorts of difficult things. The father in this story is certainly having a meanager experience. Um, but again, the father is long-suffering, and God is long-suffering as well. And so when we think about this, like, why is the... You know, when we think about this, one is not many of us, including myself, would just naturally respond like this. We can see that the way in which the father responds is very exceptional. So when he comes home, I don't know that my first reaction would be to run to any one of my children and throw my coat on them and be like, hey, we're going out for sushi or whatever tonight. I mean, this is very exceptional. So why does he do this? And essentially because you're worth it. That we are worth it. His children are worth it to him. And at the same time, and this is something, you know, in the meanager thing, it's kind of a joke. I mean, they don't stay meanagers or teenagers forever. And I think that, one, he knows that we're worth it. And then, two, at the same time, I mean, at least my thought, and I mean, maybe you would come up with different ideas of why he does this, is that, and I've often said this for myself and for other people's lives, that a, a dark chapter in your life is not the whole story. It's just a dark chapter in your life or someone else's life. And we all have dark chapters. And when we're in dark chapters, oftentimes we think that we're always going to get stuck there. Like, oh man, my life is going to be like this forever. Or this person is always going to act that way or they're always going to be this way. But that's not necessarily the case. That just because we have a dark chapter or someone else is having a dark chapter, to write them off, and God never writes us off, he knows that, you know, again, um, it's not the entire story. And we all have difficult times. However, a dark chapter can be all-encompassing if we choose to camp there and believe that this is it. But generally, it's not. I mean, God is... Again, God is always speaking to us. God is always communicating with us, encouraging us, helping us, trying to navigate us into what I would consider to be like that next gracious step. What is that next gracious step for that individual? And so why is God long-suffering? Because we're worth it to him. He absolutely loves us. So I think next um, thing that stands out to me is that God loves his children unconditionally. The father does. The father loves his kids unconditionally. You know, when the prodigal son comes back, there, there's something, again, that you might miss, in that the father, who is clear in the story, a very dignified individual, we know that he has money, and we assume that he's also a dignified individual, right? He's a good man, and so he would more than likely be looked well upon by people within his circles. One of the things is, is that he actually runs to his son, 
And that would be a very, uh, that's not something that men did within that culture, dignified men, to actually run. That he would have, at least the way that I understand it, because he more than likely would have been in a robe, he would have had to take his robe up in a very undignified manner and run to his child. Now, more than likely, I mean, and here's the thing, right? Like, you know, gossip and who's doing well and who's doing poorly. More than likely, theoretically, it's not written in there, but you just assume that everyone knows that this child is doing poorly. So the murmurs, I can't believe he's running to him, that loser child, right? But he does something very undignified in that he runs to his child. Why? Because he loves him unconditionally. That's why. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care about what other people are saying. This is his child. And again, he he'd said it twice in the story. He was dead, but he's come back alive. Now, the entitled son complains. And I think that, you know, on the one hand, I, I'm kind of okay with being more undignified with running towards one or looking foolish in front of other people for the sake of my children. That's, that's probably the easier one that one comes next. But the, the older son actually complains and starts whining about what it is that he didn't get from the father. Now, this would be way more challenging for me because more likely than not, I would end up getting defensive. What did you just say to me? I've given you everything. You spoiled, rotten child. Are you so unappreciative, right? I mean, I could just go on and on and on about the way more than likely that I would have reacted because that would have personally hurt me. But the father in the story doesn't get defensive in any way. I mean, so that's the amazing part. What does he say? All of this is yours. Whoa. I've slayed for you. And he's like, all of this is yours. <laughs> I need to practice that at home. All of this is yours. <laughs> That's a hard one. But he loves his kids unconditionally. That's a reality. He doesn't blame. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't guilt them. He doesn't yell at them or hurt them. I mean, he would have been well within his rights to probably do all sorts of stuff to them with, under the Jewish law. But he loves them unconditionally. And loving unconditionally is really hard. It's really hard. For all of us, that's tough. I mean, when I think about being able to love unconditionally, I have to choose to attempt to love unconditionally. That is not my natural go-to. And I assume for most of us, I mean, I'm also a therapist here in town, so I get to hear all sorts of, you know, people's stories. The vast majority of us, are con we, we love by default, generally, conditionally. I love people that love me back. I appreciate people that appreciate me back. I find it difficult to love those people that hurt me or are difficult to me. But he loves them unconditionally. 
I mean, the reality is that all of my kids have been hard in some way, and certainly they've experienced me as being difficult as well, and have brought out my inner immature self. That is a true statement. So, um, first off, is that the father is long-suffering in this story. The next is, is that he loves his children unconditionally. And that last, what I would say about this man, and I think this is important in terms of being men, and on Father's Day, right, this idea of us actually being men, this dad is a secure and a mature man. This is crystal clear to me. An immature man would have responded vastly different than this man did. This is a secure and mature man. And I, I assume we all think maturity is something that we aspire to. But the reality is that choosing to be mature is very difficult. Choosing to be a mature man is very difficult. However, choosing to be an immature man, in my mind, in my experience, is even more difficult. So it's not as if you choose, like, I, I, you know, I don't want to be a mature man. That's perfectly fine. You can choose to be an immature man, but just know both are hard. And both have rewards or consequences. That is certain. So pick your heart. What is it that you're going to do? John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, he said this prayer, which, oh, sorry, we had another one. Oh, my gosh, where is it? Sorry, guys. Well, never mind, I'll just go to this and I'll say the prayer. John Wimber had a prayer um, that he said, that he said, Lord, help me to grow up before I grow old. Help me to grow up before I grow old. And here's the thing. Growing old is not a choice. Everyone in the room right now is growing old at the exact same rate. One second per second. <laughs> One year per year. Everyone in the room is growing old. It's not an option. You don't get to choose to grow old or not grow old. However, growing up is a choice. Again, you do have no choice in terms of, of, of growing old, but you do have a choice in terms of growing up. And this is true as well. You cannot choose whether or not you're male or not. If you are here with certain parts, then you are a male. However, that does not make you a man. You choose to become a man. You choose to become a mature man or not. Or you choose to be an, an immature adult male. I hang out with guys at the, you know, Visions of the Cross all the time. And one of the things that I certainly see is that men who are older, immature males who continue to do the same things over and over and over again that they have been doing all their lives in terms of coping mechanisms is what we'd call it, right? So an issue comes up in their life, they don't want to deal with it, and so they deal with it in the same way that they dealt with it when they were in fifth grade. Pouting, temper tantrums, running away, getting big and mean and angry and scaring other people, yelling, all of these things. 
But when we look at this story, the father is clearly a secure, mature man. He doesn't pout. He doesn't have a temper tantrum and then justify it somehow that he's not acting like a two-year-old because he has gray hair. He doesn't manipulate. He's not passive-aggressive. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't run away and hide or act macho and tough. And as a side note, yes, it is warm in here. They have a new AC unit thing that we couldn't figure out. Sorry. Let's pretend we're on a missions trip somewhere. It's warm and hot. I've been in some places where I'm like, this is out of control. Actually, I was in one place one time. Short story. Has nothing to do with manhood. Um, we were in Indonesia. This is no joke. I've actually never told this story uh, in front. Um, we had to take this boat to get to this village. And so we show up at this village. And in Indonesia, for some reason, we were worshiping in this building. There's no AC, man. Nothing. It is roasting hot. And the humidity is out of control. So they're blasting the music because for some reason in Indonesia, uh, you just need to be on like 12. And it's just blasting. And so there's this choir up there and they're singing. And it's so hot that this woman who's singing just goes face down and just passes out. So it's warm here. It was really hot there. So just as a side note. She was okay. Um, but anyways... The father is a mature man, and I think that's something that we all aspire to. Again, just because you grow old, it does not mean that you're growing up. And so to be a man is a choice, and it's something that we all choose to do. And it is difficult. It's difficult to take responsibility for your actions. It's difficult to take responsibility for the words that come out of your mouth. It's difficult to take responsibility for the actions and the way that we want to act like little boys. It is tough. However, it is also difficult to not do that. You will reap what you sow. It's difficult either way. And at least in terms of Jesus is concerned in the example that he gives us, choosing to be a mature man, I'm telling you the fruit on the other side of that is much better than continuing to act like a boy and wish for a man's reward. The father in this story is a mature man. And the choice to be a mature man is something we will be presented with every single day for the rest of our lives. Lord, help me to grow up before I grow old. It's a good prayer. So happy Father's Day. All right, we are going to take communion. We do this every single Sunday. Um, Communion represents that the cracker represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us, that his body had to be broken to pay for the wages of sin and death, and that he allowed his body, the only sinless body to ever exist, to be broken for us so that one day our broken bodies will be complete like his is in the resurrection of the dead on the new earth. And that the wine represents his blood that was poured out for our sins.
for our past, our present, and our future sins, and that we take this as a sign of the covenant that he is actually inside of us and we are inside of him, that the kingdom of God is within us and we are inside the kingdom of God. So the communion table is open to anyone who follows Christ or anyone who would like to start following Jesus today. Again, if you are a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Jesus today, you can come down and partake in communion. The way that we do it is we come down the center aisle right here. You will dip the cracker into the wine and then you will go around the sides like this. We'll all hold on to it together and then we'll all partake of communion together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. Jesus, we thank you for coming down to the world that you created, that you suffered on our behalf, that you died upon the cross for us, and that you were resurrected on the third day. Help us, Jesus, to know you more, to know that you are inside of us and we are inside of you that you love us unconditionally, that we're born again, and that you're helping us no matter what it is that we're going through. Help us to see you more and more. Let's partake.
Well, why don't we stand? <clears throat> if you want a prayer for anything after the service, um, we would love to pray for you and lay hands on you. Uh, in Scripture, it talks about laying hands and praying for one another and that the Holy Spirit does something powerful when a brother or sister prays for us. And so if there's anything that you're wrestling with or feel like you can't get traction on or uh, whatever it is, that we would love to pray for you. If not, I'm just going to bless us and then we can go about our day. God, we thank you for this time to be able to gather. We thank you for the gift of community. We thank you for brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas to be able to journey with, that we don't have to do this alone. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless us, that you would be with us, that you would empower us to be able to do the work that you have called us to do. Would you open our eyes to the fields that are ripe for harvest? Help us to be empowered, to know that we're loved, and to go out and love others in your name. And help us today, Lord, as men, to choose to be mature men. Help us to do that. Be with us. Encourage us. We need your encouragement. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer for anything, please come on up.